Hello, I'm Erin Marcus, founder and CEO of Conquer Your Business, and I want to welcome you to Ready Yet? If all you needed was a step-by-step plan of what to do, you could buy a book on how to succeed and you would be all set. But here's the rub. You'll never do what it takes until you become the person it takes to do it. The Ready Yet podcast is dedicated to those who are ready to become the person who succeeds, ready to become the person who steps into more, and ready to become the best version of themselves. In the I'm Ready interview series, join me for inspiring conversations with people who figured out who they needed to be in order to achieve their dreams and were brave enough to be that person. Hello, 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 and thank you for joining me here on this episode of the Ready Yet podcast. I'm so excited because we get to talk to all sorts of people who were ready to do the next thing in their life, right? Ready to go for more. And we all love hearing the real stories of how people got to where they are, as opposed to the pretty Facebook, Instagram stories that people choose to share with us, that sometimes only make us feel bad about ourselves. Allison Williams is here with me today. I met Allison in a mastermind, right? I, um, I don't even, I, oh, I did get to meet you in person very briefly back in January in Santa Fe before everything yes. happened. So I did get to meet you in person, but Allison and I are part of the same mastermind. So we've been spending Facebook and Zoom time together and just loved your energy, loved what you had to say and how you had to say it. And I am so, so glad that you agreed to join me here today. So why don't you give everyone an official introduction so they know what it is that you do? Okay, so first, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And for anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Allison Williams and I am known as the Law Firm Mentor. Law Firm Mentor is the name of my company. And I tell people that Law Firm Mentor is a business coaching service for solo and small law firm attorneys. We help them to grow their revenues, crush chaos in business, and make more money. Yay! Yay. How can you not want to do all that? Right. <laughs> awesome. So, but you are also an attorney. I am. Are you still in, have your private practice? So I am actually sitting in my private practice as we speak. I am the CEO and owner of the Williams Law Group in Short Hills, New Jersey, which is full service family law. We help people enter into relationships, exit out of relationships, reform their family relationships through divorce, custody, child support, domestic violence, grandparent visitation, child abuse, neglect representation, and all that fun stuff. All right. So I'm just going to start throwing questions at you because I have like lots, you know, we've never really, I've been in this mastermind with you, but I've never really got my, you know, one-on-one all right, what do I need to know type of opportunity here? So tell me, because I'm very interested in attorneys. My dad told me since I was seven and I won my first logical argument with him that I should have become an attorney. I worked in several of my different jobs alongside the attorneys that our companies had. Um, And I know there's all these specialties. So what made you go into the specialty that you're in? So it's interesting. So family law is what we were often referred to as the redheaded stepchild of the legal practice. It is thought of by many as the place you go when you deal with the warm and fuzzy and you deal with people's feelings and you encounter great people at their worst. Uh, and I didn't want that. I didn't plan that. It just kind of pulled me. So what ultimately happened was 
I had a job uh, lined up for graduation of law school. I was going to work for the EEOC. And that year they had a hiring freeze. So they called me soon before I graduated and said, oops, never mind. <laughs> so I suddenly had no job. Oh, wow. And went to career services, had my first breakdown of my lifetime. <laughs> and they steered me toward applying for a clerkship in the state of New Jersey, which is oh, wow. a one year job the term of uh, exactly one calendar year where you work for a judge doing legal research, helping him or her prepare his or her calendar, things like that. So I figured I could at least land and have a paycheck and then be looking for my next opportunity. And it happened to be that I had done some domestic violence volunteer work in law school. So I had that on my resume that made me attractive to family court judges in New Jersey. Uh, got several interviews with family court judges. The first one I met was the uh, Honorable James Farber, who's now retired, who I loved him as much as he loved me. We hit it off, got my job, got my foot in the door. And I've been a family law attorney ever since. Did you ever work at a big firm? I did. So very first job out of the clerkship was at a, a family law boutique firm with 10 lawyers. All we did was family. Well, I shouldn't say that. Most of us did family. There was kind of like a hodgepodge of other uh, municipal uh, criminal, but mostly it was family. And then I ended up going down the shore. That's kind of the way we refer to <laughs> the lovely land of New Jersey, right? There's there's the shore and there's up the shore, down the shore. Uh, so, all way too familiar with the shore thanks yes. to a certain amount of time on television, but yes. <laughs> yeah, so don't think Jersey Shore because that's not actually, the, those people do not represent New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> But I ended up moving uh, quite a bit, quite a bit south of my existing, of my first law job, uh, my first law firm job, working for a firm that doubled in size while I was there over a four-year term period. Time period. So uh, it ended up, I ended up working in a firm that had well over 100 people, and then uh, then moved to my next law job, which was the family law department of a general practice firm with about 12 lawyers, and. Uh, still only did family. And then from there, I said, okay, this employee stuff is, is done. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I started my own law firm. So I kind of was, the, I asked you those questions for a reason. And I uh -oh. love that I kind of figured out you know, this employee stuff was done. And here's why, here's why. Because I had, not in law, but a, a, a situation. One of the things I think that attracted me to you from the beginning is you are unapologetically authentically you. And this is not quote unquote suited, you know, buttoned up lawyer. I, my corporate background is in financial services. So I, even though it's a completely different field, it has that same buttoned up proper. And I believe we're about the same age, which means when I was in that world, back in, you know, started in the 80s, power suit, women had to be men, you know. It, it, and so that's why I asked you if you ever had a job where you worked in that type of environment, because one of the hardest things that I had to figure out was how to be authentically me and let the freak flag fly <laughs> as much as it does, right? And interesting that, way of putting it. <laughs> right. But, you know, it is what it is. Who am I kidding? You know, I'm not quiet and shy. I'm not fooling anybody. You know, the tattoos are currently covered, but that's because it's cold. Right? 
<laughs> it's not, you know, so, and you were at East Coast. Mm-hmm. So I think in Chicago, we're a little bit more laid back than East Coast. Have you been through that experience? Uh, and how did you navigate it going from a student who needed a job in a field to the most amazing, awesomest person you are that I know you to be? <laughs> so yes, I went through very much that same journey. And I think it is less prevalent now for young people in their 20s and, and even early 30s to, to break into traditional conservative professions without having to do the conformist thing. But I did the conformist thing, right? Did I? And I already had so many natural accoutrements that were not within the little box, right? So the box of attorney was white, male, conservative, Navy suit. Um, you know, yeah, no. I, I, you know, and, and I was none of those things, right? You know, and especially in the Northeast because I came from the South. So I didn't have the white thing. I didn't have the male thing. And, and those were not things I could hide. Like I, right. wasn't, you can't do I wasn't there. Are, I'm just going to be very frank here since we're being honest. You know, there are black people that can pass for weight. There are females that can pass as non-binary. Right. Um, there were no hiding these boobs. There was no hiding the, the, the brown, very palpably brown skin. Um, I did the conformist thing of relaxing my hair for a long time because that's more socially acceptable for a black woman uh, in corporate. But, you know, there's only so much that I could do. And, and ironically, I didn't intend to be myself. I worked very hard at crafting my image as inauthentically as possible so that I could fit the narrative of what would be successful. And my I, mindset was always, I'm going to get the money and the power first and then be whoever the hell I want. I love that you said that. I'd say it the way, the way that you said that is so true. I worked so hard to craft the perfect inauthentic version of myself. Yeah. And oh my God, I mean, we, it's exhausting. It is. And you don't, you don't realize how much energy you're putting into it. Like it, because you just see it as the way to be right in order to, that's how to do it. Right. This is, this is what you got to do. So I'm going to do it. And I remember what happened was the very first law job I had, I got fired from. So, so to me, I've actually been fired twice, right? So the third, the third law job, I actually quit before I got fired. Um, And I probably there, I probably, by that time I wasn't going to get fired, but um, I had gone through that experience twice of not fitting into the good little submissive I was supposed to be. I've always had natural BDE is what my salesperson refers to as. That stands for big dick energy. Oh, <laughs> I just it? learned that, that that's what that Oh, means. you didn't know that? I, I, I did it for a little while. <laughs> I did not know that. And I was so impressed that this guy told me I had BDE. And I was like, what is that? Like, that sounds like a, a, a kind of a weird thing. And then he told me and I was like, oh, yeah, I like that. So, but, you know, I always had that and I didn't suppress it well. So I wasn't a good, you know, subordinate. I was a great leader, not a good subordinate. So, but I got fired. And what happened was, even though I was fired, I was, I was liked by and respected by the people that fired me. They said, you're not a fit to work here, but we don't want to just put you out in the street. So go find another job. Mm -hmm. I'll help you find another job. You know, so it was very, and I always remained friends with that particular boss. So I'm looking for another job. And I had gone on interview after interview and each one required more and more fitting into the little box. And family law is probably one of the most 
descriptly, distinctly not like that <laughs> practice right. areas because it has a disproportionately high number of women. Uh, you, sit, you, you, you don't necessarily get more minorities, but where you do find that people will interface with minorities is, you know, everybody gets divorced. <laughs> everybody that has kids has to have them supported. And, you know, so there is a, a more uh, liberal thread that runs through this practice area. So a little less conformity, but conformity is still there, right? It's the law. And you still got to go before a judge. Yeah. And you still got to do the, do the stiff suit in the pearls and crossing at the ankles. And I did all that. And one day I was dating someone at the time and I was becoming dejected. I was usually pretty positive of I can do this, but I just had like gone on so many interviews where I played the game. I answered the questions. I got the, oh, you're so articulate, which means, oh, wow, you don't sound like a black person. Right. And, Seriously. And, and wow. I had heard it like so many times and I was just tired. And I woke up one morning and I didn't have an interview until the afternoon. So I said, let me just get up and I'll just run around and whatever. And I went ahead and threw some clothes on and it happened to be suit-like clothing. So I forgot when I got done running my errands and I just went to the interview. And what I was wearing was black three-inch stiletto heels, like very like punk rocker, you know, spiked heels. I knew there was a reason we connected. Right? I knew it. <laughs> completely, completely. <laughs> and, you know, at the time I had probably just beyond my shoulders, you know, thick, curly, dark hair. And so like my hair was like all over my head because I hadn't really done much to it. I had seven earrings in. I have, I still have seven holes in my ears. They're coming up right now, but you know, I had all seven earrings in. I had on bangles and I had this bright red jacket and it was, it was a suit jacket, but it was kind of like a biker jacket that had like the seams and like the big mm -hmm. zipper. And, and I, I'm driving there and it was like a good hour and a half away from my home. And I was like, Oh my God, look at me. <laughs> well, I can't, I, I, I was like, Oh my God, there's gotta be a mall. I'll have to like go buy the appropriate suit. And I was like crying by the time I got there. And I finally was like, there's no time for that. Let's just do this. Right. So I clear, I clear my face off and I go inside and I start, you know, I introduce myself to whomever. And I said, I'm here for the attorney. And it was by that time a, a firm with 25 attorneys. And so the receptionist was very nice. She says, okay, he'll be right with you. Have a seat. And she started like banging on the computer at some point. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but walk over. I was like, are you okay? And she said, I just, I can't, I can't stand this. And she just like started like, suppressing the expletives you could just tell were on the tip of her tongue so I said well what well what is it what are you what are you trying to do so she told me what she was trying to do and I helped her and she was like oh my god you're so nice you must be here to replace Judy and I was like um so I don't know who Judy is um but I'm here to apply for the position of associate with you know in the family law department she's like you're an attorney and you know, at the time, I remember being like grossly offended by that. I was like, oh, my God, I look like right. a non-attorney. The worst nightmare, the thing <laughs> like, you read the about. The one exactly. thing I wanted not to. And she's like, no, I mean, you're just so nice. And then I was like, oh, my God, the, the attorneys here must be assholes because like she's saying they're I'm nice. That's so not like an attorney. And I was like, oh, God. And anyway, it worked out wonderfully. Her name is Eva. She's still a friend of mine. <laughs> I got the job and the rest is history. But I went through that process of, you know, at some point, the person who interviewed me said, it's like, well, we don't have a lot of attorneys who come in um, dressed in such bright colors. And I said, yeah, look, I'm, I'm just going to be real. Like I have on, I have on high heels. I like to wear high heels. I like them when I'm walking. I like them when I'm on my back. 
figure out what that means. I have boobs. They come out every once in a while. There won't be any nipple, I promise. But if you hire me, I promise that my boobs are not going to interfere we'll with my ability to do the job. <laughs> and he's like laughing. So I'm thinking, well, I already screwed up the interview. So I'm just going to be me. And I was me for the rest of the time period. And, you know, he called me like later that night. He was like, yeah, yeah come back tomorrow because we want you. You know, I, so, okay, so let's point out some teaching points and coaching points and opportunity points because we've, you know, I've had clearly not the same exact type of situations, but you were yourself against your better judgment, basically on accident. Completely. And sometimes that's just what it takes something distracts you, something overwhelms you, you just can't do it anymore. And I I talk about these lucky, lucky people out there who are influenced and motivated by rainbows and puppies and unicorns. And I'm just not that person. I am motivated when I just can't take my own shit anymore. I just can't Mm -hmm. do it anymore. I can't pretend anymore. I can't handle the frustration anymore. And there's so much truth to the idea that I never believe this. Like when people would say, oh, just be yourself. I'd be like, oh, come on. Do you know me? Like, do you not know me when you're really like, just, just stop. Do right? You, you know, don't know me or you wouldn't give me that advice. Exactly. But it wasn't even from a place of self-hate. It was really more from a place of, you know, I don't see versions of me right. out there. Whether that version of me is, I don't see women who are feminine and are not objectified to the point of being sexually harassed or black people who are quite palpably quite obviously black people and are allowed access to right so the people who get to a certain place conform in a certain way right and so i very much believed that i had to conform in a certain way and i think my generation our generation was really at that place where while that was still true, and and look, the world we live in still values synchronicity, right? So people that conform have an easier time in many ways, but when you have something, when there is something there other than just a dollar and a degree, when you are capable, knowledgeable, skilled, and you add that something about yourself that is distinct from other people, you stand out, but in a good way. Right. And I didn't realize that I was so urgently trying to fit in that I didn't realize that the places where I was being really successful in life were the places that I was myself, the places where I was using my arms, fly, you know, flying <laughs> across the courtroom and the places where I was using this big voice of mine and the places that I was quite palpably a black person. And th- those things were not problematic. Those things were actually making me distinctly successful. But I was, I was feeling like I was success, successful in spite of myself. So if I had spent more time not working on the image that I was crafting and just being, God only knows where I'd be now. Well, so I do have a question because one of the things you said, and I've had this similar experience, I was allowed, because I was, again, corporate finance, insurance, um, and I, I was even this morning when I got dressed, I'm like, God, I feel a little bit like a soccer mom. Cause like you, I'm usually in the leather jacket. I hurt my foot. I can't do the heels. And plus I haven't left my house in months. So I just, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until I really embraced, and this is going to sound arrogant, but it's true. How smart I was and what I could offer. 
that I started to realize I get to be who I want to be. It's different than the crazy street person. Because if you have crazy and nothing to offer, you don't get anywhere. But I still remember in my corporate life, being able to inch my way more and more and more towards being the authentic version of me and not being stopped. And when somebody would complain, my boss, you know, well, why does she get to do this? Well, why does she get to do that? My boss would be like, because her, (laughs) right. Because she's her, because she doesn't follow the rules because she takes all the responsibility for the results. You don't get to not follow the (laughs) rules and then blame other people when it doesn't work. Oh my God, that is such a powerful statement. Like you don't get to not follow the rules and not take responsibility for the result. And it's very true because, you know, in the role that I'm in, I don't just mentor my own attorneys that are on my law team, but I mentor other attorneys in the profession. And it comes up a lot where I'll tell stories, like lawyers love telling war stories. So I'll tell a story of, oh, I had this case and we were arguing this and this judge said this and blah, blah, blah. And one of the stories I love to tell is one of my favorite clients. And, you know, she and I are now very, very good friends, but her husband was accused of sexually abusing her daughter and the state ultimately prosecuted him successfully. But before that prosecution occurred, he was being accused in the family court system and he could not defend himself because he was under criminal prosecution and indictment. So He had to essentially not say anything to defend himself. And then ultimately there was a finding against him. So when that happened, all the attention turned to mom to have mom separate from dad, to have mom try to coach the children into being angry at dad. And that doesn't happen. And if you know anything about child sexual abuse, you know that children are often very conflicted about the fact that they still love the person who hurt them. And they don't even always identify a a sexually inappropriate touch as hurting per se. They don't like it or they they don't don't know. know They don't know enough for context. Right. And sometimes they didn't dislike it because Mm -hmm. sexual behavior feels good. Right. So then they're conflicted about the fact that they didn't hate something that happened to them. So there's all sorts of feelings about it. But we're going through this process and this judge in the state was very opposed to my client mom because they felt that she should be hating dad, divorcing dad, et cetera. And she felt very conflicted because the child recanted the allegation. So this whole story is going on. And at some point I am having to run into court like every other week on something (laughs) to try to keep these children with my client. So I tell the war story about what ultimately happened when they removed the children from mom, we got the children back with some emergent tap dancing from, from higher courts. But when that happened, you know, I had a very aggressive standoff with the courts. I mean, and this kind of found its way throughout the court system. Like, you know, I'd come into the courthouse and they'd be like, oh, she's here to fight with Jess so-and-so again. And I'd be like, guys, that's not what I do unless I have to, and she deserved it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but come on. And I tell the story about how at some point I, I had already planned and planted people in the back of the courtroom for my team. And I said, if the judge says X, I'm going to point to you and I want you to stand up and then I'm going to turn around and direct you to go to the appellate division. And I did that. And so the judge said, well, this, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I was like, fine, you do that. And then I turned around, pointed to them, told them to stand up. And there was this big display and I didn't get held in contempt. uh, But I tell my team all the time, most lawyers would have. (laughs) And So when people say, well, how would I would have handled that situation? I said, I don't know. You have to find what what you would do to handle it. 
this is how I handled it. And they said, well, couldn't I just do that? And I said, no, you couldn't. And they asked me why. And I said, because, you know, now I would say, since I learned this phrase, you don't have the BDE for that, right? <laughs> right? Everybody can't do everything. Like you have to have a certain energy, a certain stamina, a certain tenacity. And it's not about being better or worse. It's about being who you are. It's owning your space. I say all the time, I get away with doing and saying things that would get other people punched. Yeah. Now, I'm only five feet tall. So some of it is I can play the you part. You can duck. Right. I can play the part when I need to of, you know, pat on the head, poor little girl, if that gets me what I need it to get me. But you have to own your space to be able to do things like that. Yeah. And the other person has to feel it. Yes. It, it, and that's, I think that's it. Like it's about, it's about putting out who you are. Yeah. And I have found that in those moments where I feel frustrated, it is usually that I am either stepping into who I am and then pulling back. Right. So there's that, that conflictual right. energy. Not myself. Right. Or I'm just not putting it out there at all. I'm putting on the, well, we're, we're in the Navy suit with pearls. Right. And when Navy suit with pearls shows up, she's very smart and capable and competent and appropriate, but she's not. It doesn't feel authentic. Right. It's not authentic. And the only time that that works is when somebody needs not to have the real powerhouse in their face. And there's a lot of that. And I tell that to my clients now. So one of the things that's made me very successful in owning a law firm is I can say, you will be in much better hands with my partner, my associate, my colleague. And they'll say, well, why? You've got this reputation and you've been on Katie Couric and you speak internationally. And I say, because I will show up swinging my big dick and somebody will get in their ego and their feelings about it. And they will hurt you simply because they are jealous or intimidated of me. So it does not serve you to have anything other than my name on the letterhead. Well, but see, here's the thing though, because something else happened when you do that. And I watch a lot of entrepreneurs just kind of screw themselves over. What ended up happening as a, a, you delegated, you did it because you knew it was the right thing for the client, but you also didn't have this box around you that only I can do everything. Right. And I did for a long time. Don't get me wrong. Like it, it, <laughs> it took me, you know, especially because when you are a litigator, you know, the most successful litigators have the biggest egos. Right. So part of what makes you better at litigating has you stepping into your ego. And part of what makes you better as a leader is stepping out of your ego. Yeah. So there were, you know, there's two conflictual spaces. And part, part of the reason why I, I coach lawyers is that I had to master becoming the best version of myself and then breaking the mold and becoming a different person and the best version of that person in the same body with the same goals. That was the tough part. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Ready Yet podcast. I know I really enjoy having conversations about who you need to be in order to reach new heights. As founder and CEO of Conquer Your Business, I work with my clients at the intersection where what they need to do to succeed meets who they need to be to do it. If you would like to have a conversation about your business, please reach out to me at erin at conqueryourbusiness.com. And that you're saying that is so true because I've been approached by several different lawyers for coaching and I don't usually do it because... 
the response that I get over and over and over and over again, when I tell somebody, well, you're choosing this, well, this is what's going on is I have to, I have to, that's lawyer culture. I have no choice. And is now I will have that conversation with you once about choice. I will have that conversation with you maybe twice about the truth about choice. But if you just keep defaulting to, I have no choice. That's just how it is. There's I can't help you. Do. <laughs> nothing I can do. I can't change the rest of the world. I can only help you. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, when I, you know, you and I found the same coach for our mastermind. Right. And she is very, very distinctly different than I am, different than you are. She's her own person. But one of the things that I had gotten to a place of was accepting okay, someone who does not know my world, who does not follow my code, who does not live in my space can have insights that can help me and guide me. But I will tell you, lawyers, we are a hard lot. (laughs) And part of what makes me effective at coaching lawyers is the fact that when they pull that, well, you know, what we have to do is I'm like, I tried that shit. By the way, I I had a bigger reputation than you did. I had more money than you did. I had more status than you did. So don't try that crap with me. And there, there's a lot of the industries that are like that. Um, one, of the, one of the people, so when I got my MBA, I had a dual focus in marketing and executive coaching. So one of the people who was my first facilitator in the coaching world was an executive coach and NASA was one of her clients. And she used to make me laugh because she said, if NASA, if you work for NASA and you show any inkling, teeny little inkling of personality or leadership, they will dump tons of money into helping you become a leader because they're all rocket scientists and they're not going to listen to someone who's not smarter than them. And nobody's smarter than them. I know. Right. So like the the rest of us say it's not rocket science and they say, well, actually, actually it is. So it's kind of the thing with lawyers and there's certain professions, like you said, it is part of your ego that makes you good at what you do. Breaking the ego is definitely one of those things. And what's interesting is I shouldn't say breaking the ego. It's suspending the ego. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's suspending the ego long enough to let influence seep in. And what you'll find is that a lot of lawyers have faux ego. So they don't, they are not inherently narcissistic. They're not inherently self-aggrandizing. What they are is fraudulent the same way that I created my inauthentic self, they created their inauthentic self. And then they started to believe the story of that inauthentic self. So underneath the surface, there's all that low self-esteem and wounded heart and, you know, trauma from childhood. And, you know, you have to have a certain level of sadistic, you know, behavior to want to grow up and become somebody who fights for a living and who has everyone disagree with you. And the whole purpose of your job is to point out that somebody else is wrong. I mean, like that, you know, that takes some stuff, right? (laughs) So all that stuff we have, we have to work through our stuff, but we don't often let people in to help us through that stuff because we have been taught by our culture and by our profession and by society. We're supposed to know the answers. We're supposed to have the, the way. And if we don't, there's something wrong with us. So there's a lot of hiding out that happens in lawyers in particular, but you really see that, that fragility in a lot of people, especially in corporate that, you know, this, I've got to be a certain way in order to accomplish. And, and if you don't get people to see past that while they are finding their way into who they are, then you really don't, you don't get to help them. You get to just kind of pacify them into the next little baby stuff. Well, so 
I find it intriguing. So I grew up and I don't even know if you know this about me. So I grew up in Chicago in the public schools in the seventies and eighties with people from, I think we counted once 22 different countries. So my high school was a third African-American and two thirds, God only knows what, like, (laughs) right. It was like everybody. So you can kind of say it was a little bit predominantly African-American, but that was because there was so many different others. And when we get together for our reunions now, now that we're older, we can talk about, we didn't realize that wasn't normal, that other people didn't, you know, I'm Jewish. My brother's bar mitzvah book looks like baby United Nations. You know, we didn't know that that isn't how everybody grew up. And what I see now, and I'd love your input on this because I just, it's so interesting to me how it can be so opposite and at the, at the same time. Because you mentioned it when we first started talking that the younger generations don't have the supposed to's the way that we grew up with. And yet, at the same time, the reversion of the racism and the sexism, how is that happening at the same time? Yeah. So it's interesting because when I say the younger generation doesn't have the same shoulds that we had. I think there is, you know, and I, I teach this in, in one of the programs that I teach for lawyers called Marketing for the Masters, you know, it, it, we, we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the, the need for security, the being with other people, like other people, that component of our humanity that makes us, you know, that survival instinct, we very much have that. And now I think what is happening is being different is the new way of being like everybody else. <laughs> well, it's so funny. So growing up in Chicago, dude, I was three blocks into the city out of the suburb, like three blocks. We wouldn't be caught dead going north, right? Because we're not suburb people, we're city people. And it was really interesting to me, though, because when I would be with my parents, friends, kids from the suburbs, they were all trying to conform with the Benetton sweaters, right? I mean, I'm aging myself here, right? But, you know, they all looked alike. Nice little homogeneous group. But you're absolutely right. In the city, different was our version of conforming. Right. And so, but the one thing that runs through the thread is safety, right? So we all have a fundamental need for safety and safety comes in the security of being like other people. And racism, sexism, homophobia, all of that is baked into the fabric of our country. So what ends up happening is the way that you are like other people is to adopt belief patterns that are like other people, regardless of what you look like, right? Right. So you think, okay, Black people are more likely to be criminals. You think that whether you're a white person or a Black person, because that is a belief that is baked into our culture. You believe that women are supposed to be submissive to their husbands. Why? Because religion dominates. Even when you are not a member of a religion, you get religious beliefs inculcated in in every (laughs) orifice of our country. So you learn, this is the way I'm supposed to be. So then you, you adopt that belief system. And even people that rebel, their rebelling is the belief system, right? So either I believe it or I don't believe it. There is no in between. There is no gray area. And so what ends up happening is all those inappropriate beliefs that we have passed down about looking at people and seeing them for something other than just a human, and we see them as the composite of their negative traits that are ascribed by someone else, all of that we also adopt as a part of our sameness to other people and their beliefs. 
And so that's, I, I don't ever think, frankly, that that is going to go away. It gets better every, every oh, generation, but the better is, is still a component of stereotyping and believing things about people based on what we've been previously told. And going back to our conversation earlier and being able to break free of that on top of the image of what you're supposed to look like or do in order to get to where you need to be. It's, it's a brutal journey. Yeah, it's a, it is. And it's, it's a painful one, right? Because you can't, it's not like you let go of one and reach for and suddenly arrive at the other. There is, there is a process of trying to break the pattern of being yourself in that subgroup in order to achieve a better life, a better sense of purpose, a better sense of being, well-being, emotional well-being, but you're still not necessarily immediately adopted into a new belief system or a new, a new group of people. So there's often isolationism that comes with that. There's often a feeling of being less than because you don't conform to what you previously believed. And so a lot of that stuff, people don't ever break out of. It's the same reason why we have people that have a poverty mindset. They don't ever break out of the the poverty state that they're in or the middle-class state that they're in because, you know, leaving behind what you knew becomes a matter of self, it's, it's self-identity triggering. So I'll ask you a final question and I, guessing I know the answer because you've done, you've done the work. I, you know, we continue to work. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's always worth it. Right. And, and, you know, that's a, it's, I, I say yes, because of course I know, it's I know for me, yes now, for right? me it is the yes, but you know, I have, I have clients right now that struggle with that. The, if I change, that's going to sacrifice my marriage, or if I change, that's going to eliminate my friend set. Uh, or if I change, you know, I won't have the same political or professional groups that I'm, that I, that I know and that I get sustenance from. And most people are not going to, on their own, believe this. You have to start the journey and do the work to get there. But it is letting go of that faux sense of self and stepping into the, the opportunity for more, not even getting the more, just the opportunity for more and starting to see that it is better when you leave behind all that dysfunction that was ruling your life. It's only when you start to actually see little glimmers and pieces of that better self that you start to say, ah, oh, yeah. And then you want more and it becomes addictive. And then you become like us, the, right. the, personal, <laughs> the, per, the professional and personal development junkies, right? Right, exactly. And so, you know, I want to end it on this and would love to get your input because the way you were describing that really made me think, celebrate the people who are doing it, support the people who are trying to make those changes. But at the same time, have more empathy for the people who aren't because it isn't easy. And it's not fair to just assume that everyone's like you and me and wants to be that uncomfortable. Not just, I mean, it's just not, you know, having more empathy for the people who aren't doing those things and making those changes. Yeah, well, you know, I think in general, people need to have more empathy for each other. Um, I think that it's, it's a challenge because on the one hand, you wanna, you wanna show support for people no matter where they are in their journey. But on the other hand, if you make it too comfortable for people to stay where they are, they're that much more inclined to do so. Well, and I think empathy is different than, um, what is it, how is it described? Empathy for, supportive but not enabling 
Yeah, it's a fine line. And I guess it really depends on your relationship with the person, right? Awesome. I think all humans should be empathetic toward each other. And I also think all humans should call out the stuff that they see that's not the right stuff, but we don't, we don't all do that. I mean, I'll do that. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I see some of the stuff on Facebook and I'm like, I, I just don't have the time. Oh, right. I, <laughs> I don't have the energy. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. And, and it's not just choose your battles. It's choose the location of your battles. Yes, yes. the location, the energy, the time of day, the state of intoxication, uh, exactly. <laughs> everything about the battle. Exactly. So here's the deal. I knew we were going to have a great conversation because you're as direct as I am and willing to talk about anything. I think we're missing that too many times. And I'm honored to have a circle of people around me who are willing to have the conversations, whatever those conversations may be. Well, this has been great. And I feel very honored that you invited me on and I had a great time. So thank you. Awesome. So here's the thing we're going to, I'm going to put links in the show notes so people know how to reach out to you. Um, But tell everyone if they are, especially if they're an attorney trying to grow their own practice, if they're looking for a speaker who can wow their audience on so many freaking levels, how do they get a hold of you? All right. Well, the easiest way is always on my website, lawfirmmentor.net. You can find us there. I have my own podcast, the Crushing Chaos with Law Firm Mentor podcast. And certainly we're on all the social medias. So reach out, find us. You can find us. You can get a lot of good content out there just to kind of see what we're about and connect with us if if you so choose. Awesome. Thank you so, so, so much for joining me. Thank you so much for joining me on the Ready Yet podcast. I get so motivated by the amazing accomplishments of the remarkable people I meet, and I'm excited to be able to share some of their stories with you. You can find more episodes of Ready Yet at your favorite source for podcasts or at conqueryourbusiness.com. And if you've already decided that you are ready to become the person you need to be to achieve your big goals, feel free to reach out to find out how I can support you in your efforts or check out the Work With Erin page on the Conquer Your Business website. I also invite you to share this podcast with anyone you know who loves to learn and be inspired. And if you're so inclined, I'd be absolutely grateful for any reviews you'd like to share as well. Thanks again for joining me. This has been Erin Marcus, hopefully inspiring and helping you to go conquer your big dreams.